Howdy, y'all. Welcome to a special edition of Teen Talk Podcast. Um, our lovely Victoria has stepped out for the moment, and uh, you have our awesome machine maniac girl here. Hey, hey guys. And uh, I'm Michael, and we have a special guest with us today. Um, Steve, would you like to introduce yourself and... Uh, sure. Tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Steve Wilson. I am originally from Delaware, Ohio. I now live in Scottsdale, Arizona. I've been married 51 years. Oh, wonderful. That's awesome. <laughs> three daughters and two granddaughters. Um, I retired from the custom clothing business in 2019, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 1978. Wow. So that's a little bit about me. Wow, that's uh, that's almost the time I was born, there, Steve. <laughs> I'm telling my age. <laughs> no, I'm not over millennia. No, I'm not over millennia yet. So Faith and I have a great sense of humor. We banter back and forth. Uh, she kind of picks on me. I pick on her. Good. We play practical jokes. So she's a, she's a, a comedian at heart. Cool. So, uh, no, it's, it's daddy's girl, not mama's girl. <laughs> Victoria's uh, in the background saying mama's girl, Steve. Uh, yeah, I'm her girl. <laughs> so um, let's see. You want to reach out to teens, is that correct, Steve? And, and try absolutely to inspire or encourage them. Yes. Uh, if if man, if it's if it's needed in a generation, it's this one coming up. Absolutely. And, <laughs> oh yes. You millennials, you Gen Xers, whatever y'all want to dub yourself, y y yes. Uh, yeah, whatever y'all call yourselves, Stephen. In, in my in my opinion, uh, oh, a little old school. I think it goes back to the parents. Oh, they old school, all right. <laughs> and some of these parents, parents should have uh, disciplined them, their kids. And uh, taught them a little bit better manners. They're old school, all right? Way old school. I'm way old school. Well, what kind of opinion does Steve have? Let's ask him. Well, I'll start at the beginning. So the kids out there who are dealing with mental illness, uh, suicidal thoughts, uh, anxiousness, so on and so forth, will understand where I'm coming from and what I deem a national crisis, which is teenage depression, mental illness. And I started on that path when I was nine years old, way back in 1958. I went to our local movie theater 
And when I was in line to get a Coke, which cost all of a dime, I went, a guy came up to me and said, would you help me with something? And I thought he was an employee of the theater. I didn't know what he wanted. I was naive. And I said, sure, I'll help you. And he led me into the restroom, took me in and raped me. That's awful. Yeah, it is awful. At that time, I decided not to tell anybody. I kind of thought it was my my fault. And I was ashamed and embarrassed. And so I told no one for 30 years. A couple months later, I fell into my first deep depression. Uh, depression is impossible to describe to someone who has never suffered it. Now, I'm not talking about you're upset because you lost your boyfriend. I'm talking about clinical deep depression. Um, I felt worthless. I felt like I had nothing to live for. Uh, my grades fell like a rock. Uh, I was listless, just sitting around watching TV and almost failed the fourth grade. That feeling of depression lifted soon after I went down into it because with mental illness, such as depression, bipolar, it comes and goes in waves. It isn't with you constantly. So I got better for a while. I was good enough to make it through high school and college. But when I got out of college, I fell into the deepest, darkest depression I had ever experienced. I had suicidal ideations, uh, couldn't do anything, didn't want to go out. It was horrible. Then one night, I got in a fight with my father. And the next thing I know, I knew was that I woke up in a mental institution and I stayed there for three weeks. The terrible thing was that nobody knew what I was going through except for my psychiatrist. I had no support. My parents had no idea what I was going through. I don't know what their reaction would have been. My father was oblivious to anything. Um, and in 1971 or two, I was diagnosed as clinically depressed. And I started taking the medications that were used for depression, and none of them worked. They all made me sick, like the worst flu you could imagine. So I suffered like that for six or eight years. Uh, I couldn't keep a job. I'd get frustrated. I'd get bored. I'd get mad. All of those things that go along with clinical depression or bipolar uh, kept me from succeeding at anything. Then when 1978 rolled along, six or seven years later, my psychiatrist came in and said, oh, I think I made a mistake in your diagnosis. You are bipolar. 
Well, hell, I'd never heard of bipolar, so I didn't know what he meant. But he put me on lithium. And right away, I began to feel better. I got about 50% better, was able to go into my family business and at least make a living. And uh, my wife and I were married in 72, and we had, as I said, three daughters. Um, so life was manageable, but I still had tremendous ruminations, which means that your mind is out of control. You think about things, the same thing that maybe you said something to hurt somebody and you can't get it out of your mind. It just rolls around and rolls around. It just drives me nuts. So in about 2000, I was put on another medication and it was very good for me and Stopped the uh, ruminations quite a bit. And I've been doing really well ever since. Hmm. Steve, this, 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 uh, you made a statement that you felt that it was your fault back when you were nine years old. Uh, of, of course, we know that it was not your fault, but to carry that burden around for almost 30 years, uh, that, that, that that guilt feeling inside of you it it it's got to tear you up no question i had no one to talk to uh it, my psychiatrist became my support um when i was at my worst i was going to the psychiatrist three times a week so we got a bond going and that's what saved me okay and but you were able to talk to your therapist about the incident. Here's a funny thing. I didn't tell him for years. Right. And then about 30 years after the incident, which uh, I got up the guts to tell him. And he completely ignored me. Never brought it up again. Gosh. Yeah. I didn't realize. At the time, because you see, when you're like I was, I wanted to not upset anybody, to please everybody. Mm -hmm. So when he said no big deal, I just accepted it. It probably set me back 10 years, maybe. I don't know. Wow. It, it you know, to go through that alone is is really difficult. Yeah, it was. It was. But what I really wanted to focus on today is the effect that mental illness has on young people. And when I got better around 1990 or 2000, I had an incident, two incidents that happened that forged what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And at Christmas time every year, I had a clothing store, a big one. Mm -hmm. And at Christmas time, we would hire young people to wrap packages, run errands and so on, because we couldn't, didn't have the time to do those things. Right. 
So one year I hired this little girl, her name was Angie, and she was bubbly, smiley, happy. Everything told me that she was going to be a huge success. One night or one Saturday morning, early before I opened the store, her best friend, who was also working with us, came in early, just sobbing like crazy. Well, Angie had gone to bed the night before and shot herself and killed herself. My gosh. Just before that, I had a close friend who I went to college with, and we'd been speaking and talking about how his son was suffering from something uh, mental. And he, he and his wife got a call one day from the police that his son had been caught breaking, in, breaking into a house, and they had him at the police station for the parents to come down and get him. When he got there, the kid got out of the car, said, Mom, Dad, I love you, but I can't take it anymore, pulled out a gun, and shot himself in the head. Oh, my God. Those two incidents made me decide that what I had gone through could be of help to other people. So I began talking to high school health and psychology classes in and around central Ohio. And at every speech I gave, I would ask any students who wanted to, to come up and tell me what they're going through. One day, a young lady came up to me. She was the number one student in class, possibly the queen, I don't know. She had everything to live for. She was smart. She was athletic. She came up and said, Mr. Wilson, I'm dying. Everybody thinks I should be the best. My parents are just beating me down. My teachers are beating me down. I can't go on. All I could do was point her in the right direction to get a child psychologist. Right after that, a young lady came up and she was a normal student, not the top of her class. She had a different story. She said, Mr. Wilson, everybody hates me. I have no friends. My parents hate me. I want to die. She was 16 years old. I don't know what happened to her. As I said, I pointed her on the way to getting a, a child psychologist, but she was really hurting. So I, I continued to go to high school classes, and I did some research and found, now remember this was about 1990 or 95. Mm -hmm. So just about 30 years ago and found out that it was a growing problem. Switched to today. I now know that 20% of teenagers are mentally distressed. 
20% of the rest of the population is mentally distressed. Mm. That's 60 million people in the U.S. My, seeing as I know what the hell I went through and had these four examples of kids who are really hurting, I know we had an epidemic. Well, my wife and I moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, and I wanted to continue to speak at high school classes, and they wouldn't let me. They said I was too old. I was about 60 at the time. So I struck out on another avenue and got to be accepted as a facilitator for two mental health support groups here in Phoenix. Um, I do them for two hours, Tuesday night and Thursday night. I've done and seen well over a thousand people for the last eight years. And it is clear to me that many, many of the people who come to my groups were either sexually assaulted, beaten, or just berated when they were a kid. And now they're adults and they're struggling and will struggle for the rest of their lives. Um, It's really sad and to hear their tales, it uh, blow your mind what has happened to people because other people are so bad. I've had people who are trafficked, people who uh, were raped and beaten as kids. Uh, I've had a couple people who've been kidnapped. All of these things wind up ruining the people's lives. So I continue to do these two facilitating jobs every week, and I am getting as much out of it as anybody else. Mm-hmm. I wish I could include teenagers, but that is done by other people, so I'm not able to do it teenagers. Right. Wow, this you know you just I, I was hanging on every word there, just listening, you know, going through the the history there, and um, you know that you spoke about this uh, unbiased, uh, unprecedented, uh, non uh, discriminatory disease illness, uh, because you had one one girl at one end of the spectrum, she had everything going for her, and then you had the other end of the spectrum. And it was the same issue, you know, the same the same mental illness. Um, you know, today these kids have to deal with the things that that I didn't have to deal with in high school, like the social media peer pressure. You know, absolutely. Would the girls come to 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 class wearing a a green shirt, and the other kids ridicule her and saying, "Oh, that's a green shirt. Uh, it looks so ugly. Go kill yourself." And then what happens? It builds and builds and builds and Finally, the the child, you know, does something that they can't, they, you know, can't undo. Absolutely. So I, I, I can just imagine that, you know, the, the thousands of kids that you've spoken to, you know, the horror stories. You know, I also was called in one time because two girls at a special high school 
were caught burning themselves uh, and cutting themselves. Now, do y'all know what that is? Yes. As I talked to these girls, they both said the reason they do it is to get relief from the stress of life. They said that when they cut themselves, the pain that was caused blocked off their mind for a few minutes and they could get relief from what they were going through. Mm. Scary. Yes. So you're you're continuing to work with uh with groups? Yes. Outside of high schools? They're not in high school. They're age 18 to about 80. Okay. It's kind of like the aftermath group of what happened to them precipitated when they were young people. Now, that, I don't want to get the, the idea that everybody was beaten or whatever. Sure. There are a lot of other reasons for mental illness. But a lot of teenagers suffer from what is happening to them earlier or at the present. Right. Mm. Wow. You got anything to add to this face? I hope I want what everybody been put through. What was that? It, it, it's wrong what everybody was uh, being put through. Yeah. You know, I was never bullied, but I have seen the effects all my life of people who were bullied. And I would have to say the effects on them were as bad as what the rape was on me. Uh, you just are humiliated. You want to die. And you retain that belief of terror the rest of your life. Mm. Now, you you didn't, uh, Steve, you didn't come forward uh, at that time, um, you know, I don't know all the circumstances, but, you know, the mentality back then may have been a little different, you know, a lot different as far as society looking, looking down on families who, who have incidents like this. Yes. Would you encourage the kids these days to come forward? Now, what I think that kids should do now but even before they seek professional help is to get a parent who will support you, your best friend, a teacher, a counselor, and tell them what you're going through. They should not judge you. Now, more often than not, the parents do, but a good friend and a counselor should be on your side. Other than maybe telling you to get some professional help, they should not tell you what to do. They should tell you you'll uh, to do everything they they will do everything they can to help you. They will work with you and become a best friend and give you the support that you need. Support is the number one thing I missed out on 
And that's the role of those people. The role is not to say, oh, go take a walk, you'll feel better or uh, anything like that. Their role is to comfort you in your time of need. Right. Mm. All right. Um, uh, you got anything else to share with us, Steve, that you know may, may or not uh, be off topic? Yeah, I do have another thing. I, uh, I didn't have my agenda, uh, what we were going to discuss here right off the bat. So my apologies. Um, did you want to ask me something else? No, sir. Go go ahead. Okay. I want everyone to realize that if you have mental illness, such as clinical depression or bipolar, there is no cure. But you can still have a pretty good life, like I have. Um, you just have to cry out for help and then follow what your psychiatrist, nurse practitioner, um, therapist suggests you do. If you do that, you'll be rewarded with some good times. If you refuse to take your medication, if it's, if it's prescribed, or if you drop out your medication because you think it doesn't work, or you get rid of your medication because you are six months feeling pretty good, so you decide you don't need the medication anymore, you're making huge life-altering mistakes. You have to follow what you're advised to follow. So, if, if Steve, if I can piggyback off that, you you mentioned that uh, you know you need that support there. Um, it to it, in my in my opinion, and uh, I'll probably get hated on for this. Um, it's easier for females to get it out in the open to cry it out, so to speak. But for us guys, it you know, certain incidents are embarrassing. It's it's the way, you know, society has stipulated, hey, you're a man, you're supposed to bottle it up, keep it in. So it, it's a little bit more difficult for us to let it out, you know, even to that best friend of ours, you know, what, what kind of, what kind of man are you, you know? Well, I've got my own theory on that and that that is more or less older adults feelings. The youth of today, meaning up to 30 or 35, are more willing to express themselves than were in the past. My groups are evenly divided between men and women. Sometimes I have more men. And if you give those people time, they will eventually come around and say, what's bothering them, what's happened to them. And it is not a male versus female. There is no difference in my groups. Um, I see about 10 to 15 people is all I can handle in a group. And I see it all the time. Okay. 
Well, we're gonna we're gonna. I, I see that uh, your wife brought you something to drink. Congratulations on fifty plus years. Um, <laughs> Thanks. That's an inspiration. You know, most of us guys would ask, you know, what's your secret? You know, one <laughs> to your long life, and you know, two to your long marriage. Well, I'll tell you, I just found out a few months ago from my wife that the first seven or eight years of our marriage, before I got lithium and was diagnosed with bipolar, was hell for her. And, you know, at that time, all I could do was worry about myself. I was just screwed up. So me learning that I had made things very bad for her just upset the hell out of me. Uh, but since I got lithium and got back on the road to recovery, uh, we've had a damn good 40 or 45 years after that. That's awesome. Kudos to her for her perseverance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Steve, it's been great talking to you, buddy. I, you know, we're going to get your message out there to, uh, well, just, just over 40 million people. Well, I hope so. So uh, we also. I want to tell you something. Yes, sir. I have been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I. Without treatment, I have three to six months. With treatment, I might get a year or so. I am asking everybody I do a podcast with to not. Get away from this topic to really push it. Because it is so important. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And and I understand, Steve, you, you have a book. Yes, I wrote a book about my uh, my life. It's called Teetering on a Tightrope, My Bipolar Journey. Uh, it discusses my life from when I was about eight years old all the way through. And it leaves out nothing. It describes all the things that I went through. And for young people, this will be something that they should take away from this. It had a very big effect on my sexual life. Of course. Um, sometimes it's a medication. Other times it was my own mental attitude. Um, so it is very important for those kids to realize what they're, they're facing and to also realize that they can get through it if they give it their all. Yes. So your book, once again, Teetering on a Tightrope with my bipolar, bipolar Journey. My bipolar journey, and they can find it on through Amazon, Amazon Barnes and Noble, okay, and a couple other places that I I don't ever remember where they are. They're not not anything I use. You know, to to our listeners out there, y'all y'all get on Amazon and y'all y'all pick up this book. I can't wait to read it. Go for it. <laughs> I'm gonna have a question for you. Oh, it's on. It's an ebook. It's a paperback. And it is an audio book. Okay. What message will you tell other kids who have been assaulted? 
Now, what did she say? I'm hard of hearing, so I'm having trouble. But I am too. I, I I have hearing aids, but I refuse to wear them. I wear mine. <laughs> Wait till you get my age, and it really goes to hell. I hope I get your age, buddy. Oh, who is happening? Easy greasy. <laughs> uh, she asked, what message do you have for other teens who have been assaulted? He kind of answered that. Oh, it boils down to the same thing. Right. Don't shy away from telling someone who you think would support you. Uh, don't be afraid to get professional help. Look into taking medication because it could be your savior. Um, but you've got a long battle ahead of you. And if you face it head on, you'll make it. For faith, faith knows that things like this are, are not her fault or you know the teen's fault. Yes, they don't go asking for the, these type of uh incidents to occur. <laughs> All right, I think uh, I think I'm done here. If uh, do you have anything else, Steve? No, I really don't. I think. Uh, I touched on everything I wanted to say. Um, I hope I hope kids listen to this, and you'd be surprised how many kids you would think would be on top of the world are really suffering. And if we can reach a few of them to get help, and how they should get help, I think we will have accomplished our goal. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I, you know, I love it when when my wife reads an email or something. Uh, or a text to say, "Hey, you know, you're you you helped save my life." Good, great. You know, it it just it just takes that one to make all the years and the and the twenty one hours a day that my wife works up here. It it just makes it worth it just to hear that one person say, "Hey, you helped me. You helped save my life." I agree. I agree. All right, Steve. Thank um, so much for being on our show. Thank you. It was a pleasure and an honor. Well, uh, let's see. All right, I'm going to stop this now. And thank you all for listening to a special edition of uh, Teen Talk Podcast here at A Contagious Smile with Mr. Steve Wilson. Uh, get it, Mr. Wilson. And uh, and our lovely host, Faith. And I'm just a redneck guy named Michael. Bye, y'all. Take care of yourself, guys. You Appreciate take care it. of yourself. Thank you.